Hello, and welcome to Smart Supply Chain, a podcast produced by ALOM, featuring industry experts offering insight and clarity on a variety of supply chain topics. I'm your host, Jennifer Duell. As an environmentally and socially conscious global supply chain services provider, ALOM offers Six Sigma quality, technology leadership, flexibility, and true customer focus. ALOM delivers its clients' products flawlessly, enriching the end user experience and upholding their brand reputations. Today's guest experts are Lisa Dolan and Sean Bush of ALOM. Lisa is Vice President of Supply Chain Strategy, and Sean is a manager in ALOM's Supply Base Group. Lisa, Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to be talking about near sourcing. Sean, can you kick off this episode by defining near sourcing? Near sourcing is trying to find suppliers in close proximity to where you're manufacturing. It's a strategic way to do business. Lisa, what do you think is one of the biggest benefits to near sourcing? The whole point of near sourcing is added resiliency and having those backups in different regions so that if there is either a climate event or a geopolitical event, that we still have other suppliers that we can rely on for the same services or raw materials, I think, to ensure that the products are still going to be on the shelves when they're needed. Having that near sourcing by region just gives every supply chain that added protection. It just adds layers of resiliency to your entire supply chain. Sean, do you want to chime in here? The resiliency part of it is really getting depth right, into our portfolio and a mixed portfolio. It's just like finances. We have to have a mixed portfolio to stay resilient. And for near sourcing, that's just getting multiple suppliers, even for the same product, or at least getting the feelers out there and getting them on board with what we want, even if we're not utilizing them, but going down the whole track with them. So we have those in the background and we have to find that balance. That's the biggest part is we still have our overseas partners that we need and want to keep. Yeah, agreed, especially on the depth. And there's also the whole compliance issue as well. And so when you near source, compliance tends to be a bit easier to monitor, maintain, and work in conjunction with as well. You have more control, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Lisa, can you talk with me about the importance of data in the supply chain and with near sourcing? It's critical that you have the data. And that's why I absolutely love the tools that we have at our fingertips. We're really looking at total overall costs. A lot of the decisions in the past and farming out a lot of the processes, the raw materials to inexpensive regions, I think a lot was missed as far as the cost, the cost of logistics, the cost of not having that backup resiliency the cost to the environment and and the climate. And I think what's fabulous today is that we do have the data and the tools that we can articulate the true total cost. And so while near sourcing seems to potentially be more expensive, you know, there are certain things that are more expensive, but the gains that you get in environmental impact in logistics costs 
those are priceless. And those were the winners during these challenging times. There's just so many layers to this onion. It's not a matter of simple ERP anymore. We need to have those demand signals to see those heat maps, right? Where is the product having to go to and then extrapolating that backwards to ensure that we have the raw materials for where the product is selling the fastest and needs to be manufactured the fastest. And so the suppliers need to be integrated with us so that we can see raw materials on hand and use that data to all of our benefits, especially in a near sourcing model. It helps those suppliers in that particular region really flex back and forth as well. So we can set that forecast demand a little bit easier for them. We don't have a crystal ball to predict the future, and without tapping into every element, I'll just call them external factors. (laughs) Um, Whether environmental, political, whatever, there's external factors that always play a role in our stability and our resiliency with supply chain. We try to source to the best of our ability with the market and where this is going geographically and where it's being produced. It's also really vertical specific. Each of the verticals, if you, you take a look at the semiconductor industry, right, there is a large push and uh, government demand that we start manufacturing key critical components closer to the market, our market in the U.S. in this particular instance. And so each vertical is starting to look at their supply chain specifically. And even though they'll be manufacturing in the U.S., there's still going to be raw materials that are more economically sourced in different regions. But it does allow for added resiliency by looking at secondary markets. And and that's where it's getting exciting is that it's we've gone from sole sourcing to multi-sourcing And it really does provide a tremendous amount of resiliency when things around the world pivot. Can you give me an example of when near sourcing saved the bacon? As an example, it would be the semiconductor meltdown with demand just skyrocketing through bullwhip effects with everybody in every industry utilizing and taking scarce commodities, right? And so... The fact that we weren't sole sourced in a particular region on certain key critical electronic components allowed us to move from suppliers that we would normally use in APAC for the rest of the world and shift over to a supplier that was our second source on the fly in EMEA and still be able to bring in components with zero downtime for our technology and automotive customers. And that was key saver over the course of the last year and a half. We didn't bring a line down and we we didn't have a delay in shipments. And so having that strategy and working closely with the suppliers and looking at the data really, as you said, saved the bacon. In past decades, near sourcing was the preferred way to source materials, and that changed. So I have a hard question for you. If near sourcing is such a smart strategy, why did manufacturers stop doing it? 
I think one of the reasons was certainly economic driven. And I think it got to a point where our manufacturers here in the U.S. could not keep up with the demands of growing populations. But as technology advanced overseas, the ease of the trade and the turn times that are manufacturing overseas. So that became easier. It was not just economic driven, but politically driven and availability. Everyone wants it now. And the dollar is what was important. And it still is at the bottom line. Everyone wants to profit. But I think at that time, it was overdriving the other impacts that we're seeing today that we need to correct. Whenever I think about near sourcing, I think about going to make a peach pie. Do I want to use peaches that are from farms that are near my house, like farm to table? Or am I going to just find peaches from anywhere. Do you think the food industry was maybe the first of the recent near sourcing trend? I think they were a definite leader in it and it was certainly spotlighted a bit and has been successful. So that goes to show you. A lot of companies do prefer near sourcing, but it didn't really come into more of a necessity until the last couple of years where they really had to take a look at how we source. It sounds like COVID may have accelerated that desire for near sourcing. It sure did. And we try to look at the positive and lessons learned from all things like the setbacks we've had in the last few years. And it, it certainly has reminded people that near sourcing is not only a necessity, but we enjoy what it does in so many aspects for our local economy, not to mention our environmental responsibility. Lisa, what do you think about that? As we're more near sourcing in regions, we're, we're able to find some of those really innovative suppliers that we've not had an opportunity to engage with yet. There's just a tremendous amount that we need to look at when devising a near sourcing strategy for each project and each customer in region. You know, really what it comes down to is making sure your supply chain is nimble and you have that technology to mirror and marry where you're manufacturing with your suppliers and where it's ultimately going to go to the consumer. That's a great point. That's what I would call proximity near sourcing. So if near sourcing is a responsibility for us in so many ways, and we talked about the environment. So if we have a customer in Indonesia and it makes sense for us to source close to them for that carbon footprint and for their economy as well, we'll source responsibly. We'll find the supplier that still meets the criteria that we look for. And that's absolutely what we do here at ALOM. It's not just near sourcing right here in our backyard, our hometown. We certainly want to do that. What is that perfect blend of near sourcing and international sourcing? We still need to be partners and we still rely on each other's economies. But we can help with that by when we do source, we don't just pick a supplier because it's easy. We pick one because they're part of the mission that we're putting forth is responsibility to the planet. What are some risks involved in near sourcing? Lisa, you want to chime in here? So for near sourcing, some of those risks that we're always on the lookout for, especially in particular verticals, would be raw material shortages, right? And so you have, if you're setting up a near sourcing plan, you need to make sure that there is the raw material available in that particular sourcing region to ensure steady flow. And if you don't, you need obviously a backup. A lot of times with near sourcing, you're working with smaller 
suppliers, diverse suppliers. And so there's the added task of doing that due diligence that Sean mentioned before and really getting in with your suppliers and making sure that they're financially stable, that they've got a very robust supply chain on their back end as well. That's exactly right, Lisa. I think you hit it on the head is doing our due diligence. And a lot of that is is making our expectations known, learning their capacities, their financials, where they get their raw product from. We really do study our sources and they're very open with it. We'd like to know, okay, you can produce this, but where do you get that from? And if that's overseas, okay. So we go down those roads. That's how we eliminate risk is finding out exactly where their product is coming from, how available it is, and what influences they see in the market that's affecting them. I don't think a lot of people understand where a lot of things come from. They're just worried that the product is certified in some way, and they're going to get the product on time, and they have the price. When it's the last-minute things, uh, which seem to be every day now, is where people... (laughs) (laughs) You know, everyone says it's a fire, so everyone goes to what they know. Here's the easiest source. I know I can get this in this amount of days. Well, that's where we're doing our our research now. So it's not a fire every time. We can take those last minute requests and that near sourcing, that gives us that flexibility, resiliency to do that. There is a labor shortage in the U.S., in manufacturing, in trucking. There's actually, I'm beginning to think there might be a labor shortage everywhere. Yes. Do you think there's a labor shortage for podcast hosts? (laughs) Gee, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. I haven't looked into that. Tell me about the situation in the U.S. and capacity. If you just cannot get things created and produced close to where you are, then you're obviously going to have to look elsewhere. Is that still a consideration now where we're saying, okay, for however much we want in your source, we do have to think about whether that's possible. Yeah, and that's all part of the equation that's getting figured out. I don't think there's a perfect answer yet. It's coming up to a technology thing where how do we do this without as much labor force? I think technology is going to be a huge part of how we move forward with correcting the supply chain. Do you have a vision of what an ideal near sourcing world would look like? Well, it has to be fluid, that's for sure, because again, the environment is just changing so, so quickly. But in the ideal world, it would be having that complete alignment of where the product is going, who the end customer is, what that volume is, and keeping your finger on the pulse on those regions. There's no perfect formula on what near sourcing would do to be successful for every company. It's going to be customized for all you need. This will be something that we study throughout supply chain. What compels an organization to say, I want our suppliers to be close to where our customers are? Do you think customers are becoming a little more interested in where their goods are coming from or a little bit more interested in how something is produced? Oh, yeah, they sure are. The awareness at the corporate level now for the impact of near sourcing and the positivity of it is incredible. So I think that awareness is definitely increasing and will continue to as our social responsibility does. Sean, what do you think is the biggest misconception about near sourcing? I think the one misconception may be on the readiness of availability and probably the variety and options they would have by near sourcing. And I think that's why it's important 
that the word gets out from suppliers, what they are capable of and the options they have. We've engaged with so many good suppliers that, that want to do the business. They're just trying to get the foot in the door. And it's important for us to let them know what we're looking for with that as well. What is the first step toward near sourcing? I think the first step is to see what the vendors are capable of actually going and visiting. That's another good thing about near sourcing is you can go right to the factory and visit with them. They can visit yours and see what your needs are. And I think it makes it a lot easier doing it that way. I think they're going to think near sourcing is the way to go if they don't already. We had to learn from this and we've proven that it works even better. So there's time for change. So it's all about the mindset. Does it feel like people are behind in the thought process of near sourcing? I don't think people are behind in that process necessarily today. Two years ago, absolutely. But when the fire comes, everyone has to stop and take a a different approach and a different look and pivot. You guys have been awesome. And it's been my pleasure to talk with you, Lisa. Thank you. And Sean, thank you. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Supply Chain. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information or to contact ALOM, go to alom.com. That's A-L-O-M dot com.